everyone, and welcome to this episode of the Customer Data Perspectives. And I've got a super treat for you today. Joining me is Scott Brinker. He's the VP of Platform Ecosystem at HubSpot and editor at chiefmartech.com and everything and anything around marketing technology. He's the go-to guy. Hi, how's it going, Scott? <laughs> Hi, Isaac. Thank you for that wonderful intro. Uh, great to be here with you. Great, Scott. So we're going to jump right into this. Um, I look forward to this time of year. Every year, you just released a 2022 marketing technology landscape. And if you've never seen this, it is a work of art. And I'm sure <laughs> a labor of science to put it all together. I think it's the ninth edition. The first one had 150 logos on it. If I read that right, you're up to 9,932. It's up from about 8,000 from a couple of years ago. Tell me, what were some of the learnings and surprisings in putting this uh, particular edition together? Ooh, um, well, I mean, I, I'd say the single biggest surprise in the entire journey here has just been, you know, the the incredible expansion uh, of the number of products in this space. Um, I mean, don't get me wrong, I'm an advocate for MarTech. I'm an advocate <laughs> for, you know, software. And I would have never been able to predict you know, the scale at which this has grown. And so that continues to be something I, I, I learn again and again. The other thing that is maybe not as surprising anymore, but yeah, I, I still, you know, like every year when I do this, I always get asked like, oh, well, where are the categories where there's new innovation happening? Oh, go for it. The thing <laughs> is, it's like pretty much every category keeps going through like this renewal, you know, and then like one example that would be like, you know, arguably the oldest category on that landscape is content management systems, right? I mean, like, sure. all right, back in 1995, that's where we started, <laughs> you know? And so if you were going to say any category at this point should be done, mature, consolidated, we're all wrapped up, it'll be that category. Yet that category has seen like all this disruption, all these new companies. I mean, things around like headless CMS, you know, I mean, it just, it, it's amazing. And it's that same dynamic in so many of these categories is that they just continue to evolve, which is both exciting and also uh, for many marketers uh, frustrating because it is a constantly moving target. Yeah, I can totally uh, agree and subscribe to that. I mean, you think about, um, why are we constantly reinventing and retransforming what we're doing? Well, the competitive landscape is changing. You know, what customers are looking at is changing, but the technologies are just evolving, you know, and uh, what does that mean? Well, there's certain things I can't do on a platform that I invested in just two or three years ago that my competitors are now getting a leg up on me. Um, and, and, and can do. And so that constant churn of what do I need to do better than I didn't even have the option to do three years ago is I think what's fueling this. Uh, yeah, it's a really important point, by the way, because like most people, when they're complaining about all the change in the MarTech landscape, it's like only looking at that piece. Uh, but the, yeah, exactly as you describe it, there's basically these three pieces that are all intertwined. It's what are the competitors doing? what are customers or consumers expecting because those expectations continue to change. And then there's the technology that continues to change. And these are all intertwined in really interesting ways. Yeah, that uh, unfortunately, yeah, just keep things um, very difficult to say like, okay, yes, we made our choice. Here's our five-year, 10-year plan, we're done. Yeah, <laughs> like, well. I think the only dimension we left at was data. I mean, our requirements mm -hmm. of what data we wanna collect and how we wanna use it 
you know, now we have machine learning as a capability that we never had before five, 10 years ago that can be part of our ecosystems. And then you throw regulation in on top of that. Mm-hmm. And so that's uh, the fourth dimension. Do I have that right too? <laughs> I, I, I would buy that, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so there was, there was one thing that surprised me on the landscape. I wonder if you can comment on this, a 12% churn um, from previous version that you did although you did add 2,900 new technologies. Is there any messages, do's and don'ts around this? When I see churn as a technologist, I'm like, how do we protect myself against churn? When I see new incumbents coming in, I'm like, well, do I want to sit on this requirement another year and wait because there's new technology coming out every day? So I'm wondering how to best interpret mm-hmm. interpret this. What What do you see out there? Yeah, no, it's a it's a great question. Um, so this is one of the things where I feel like uh, uh, to get nerdy right away, I guess, is, um, you know, this is where like architecting your tech stack matters. Uh, years ago, um, Gartner had published in the IT world, you know, their whole concept around pace layering and this mm-hmm. idea of, oh, there's systems of record and systems of uh, differentiation and systems of innovation. And this sort of recognition that different layers of our tech stack do change at different paces, you know, and as a result, you kind of want to manage those layers, you know, slightly differently. Um, and I think, yeah, MarTech is an environment where that really holds true. I mean, there are certain fundamental systems, you know, like, you know, what is the source of truth for like your customer data? You know, what is the foundation for your like, you know, website customer experience? Um, you know, uh, any sort of like system you're using to architect, like say your marketing automation at scale. These are things that generally you do not want to change very frequently. But a lot of the innovation that happens with these more specialist apps, okay, well, that's kind of at a different level. And it's one of the reasons why I'm a big advocate for integration, <clears throat> excuse me here, between these systems. Because ideally what you want to be able to do is as new technologies emerge, you want the ability to experiment with them, but to be able to experiment them with them with relatively low risk that, hey, we can try this, whatever interaction we have with it, we will bring that data fundamentally down to our core platforms. If after time we realize, oh, well, that one didn't work, or maybe there's another vendor who we think is better at it. I mean, a great example of this would be, for instance, like, um, you know, online webinar or virtual event uh, platforms, of which <laughs> hundreds, you know, um, right? I mean, Yes, I'm not saying it is a zero cost difference to switch from one virtual events platform to another, but it's nowhere near the effort that's required to say like, oh, I want to fundamentally switch my CRM platform, you know, (laughs) at this point. And as long as, you know, if you start with one virtual events platform and it's pumping all of its data down to your core CRM, if you decide to then switch to a different virtual events platform, as long as that is also then, you know, pulling that shared data down, then yeah, the cost of switching, the cost of experimenting with uh, new innovations becomes, I think, a little bit more manageable. It, well, it's, uh, you know, you're talking like a CIO, CIO to me now, because we think about this changing architectural landscape all the time. You know, when we started the web, it was a two-tiered model, and then it became a three-tiered application model, and then it became cloud, and it became, you know, mobile and uh, web, and then it became mobile first. And now, now there's IOT in the middle of this. Now I got to separate out APIs, APIs out from the customer experience out and support 
So, the, I mean, it's a changing landscape. And what we think about is um, not trying to get the architecture right. It's planning for what happens when the architecture gets wrong. How do we make it easy and defendable to move from one system to another? How do we think about, you know, we buy a platform, we're going to incrementally experiment with new capabilities and say, what is it, what's working well in this platform that we want to continue to invest in? And maybe something else that the platform has, but we want to go get something super specialized because we know we can um, we can get a differentiating value if we do that. And that really leads to my next questions because we've been talking about customer data for a long time, centralizing customer data, customer 360s. We've been talking about activations and attribution models. And then I see another article that you wrote on chiefmartech.com not too long ago, 120 marketing cloud technologies being used in the average large enterprise uh, in that article. So, you know, how do you, how do you deal with this? You know, are more companies succeeding with customer data despite the 120 platforms or, or, or are many companies just still catching up and trying to figure out how do I make uh, 120 technologies work, centralizing data, enable machine learning, but most importantly, personalized experiences for my end users. Yeah. Um, well, there's a lot to unpack there. Um, I would say, first of all, like these stats about like how many SaaS apps, you know, companies have are always surprising because if you ask people how many apps they have or platforms they have, they always underestimate it. They're like, oh yeah, no, we, we only use two or three products or, oh, okay. Maybe there's like five or six, you know, and then you connect them to these SaaS management platforms that actually go, mm-hmm. you know, and whether they're looking through like your accounting records for what you're subscribing to, or your, you know, single sign-on for what you have connected, all of a sudden they pop out and say like, no, actually you have hundreds of these different SaaS <laughs> subscriptions. People are like, wait, what? And the truth is that, I mean, they're not all created equal. I mean, like, you know, uh, in marketing, again, like it was kind of like this pace layering thing, like, okay, people automatically think of like, yes, I have my CRM, I have a marketing automation platform, I have my CMS. These are the big, big rocks, you know, (laughs) big ones that come to mind, you know, but meanwhile, when I'm like, oh, I'm running a podcast, let's see. So I have maybe Descript. Uh, you know, which is a tool now I'm using to like, you know, edit these videos, you know, maybe I'm using like the, you know, this uh, social media scheduler for like, you know, how things are being pulled out. And what's fascinating about a lot of these things is not all of them are like directly generating or using customer data. They're often, you know, like just sort of pieces in a tool chain of like, how do marketers create collectively their digital experience? That being said, there still are a fair number that do have some kind of, you know, customer touch point, in which case it's really important for there to be a two-way integration there. Both you want those tools to generally be aware of existing data, existing relationships that we have with customers. And then also if they're going to participate in some kind of touch point, you know, or dialogue with the customer, how do we make sure that data and that interaction then makes it back to our core platforms too? Now, for years, this was the single biggest challenge for marketers is a lot of these tools just did not talk with each other. Mm-hmm. I would say at this point in time, we're we're getting better. Like you now see, you know, for so many of these MarTech products, when they come to market, now they are actually touting their integrations with these major platforms as one of their key features. Yeah. You know, a while ago, integration was kind of like the, you know, like, oh, well, you know, that's not the fun stuff. We don't want to do that. I mean, I guess we'll get to that someday, but you know, that isn't where the real thing is. 
you know, and because marketers have just reached a point where they're like, listen, I'm just not going to buy a tool if it doesn't integrate with my core systems. The feedback loop has, you know, finally started to take effect. And now companies are like, okay, well, if I want to sell my product, I have to make sure as a first class feature that it integrates with the major platform my customers are going to be using. Um, so we're, we're, we're getting better there. I don't want to say it's nirvana yet. It's a, it's a, it's a journey, um, but at least it feels like it's headed in the right direction. Yeah, no, I, I think you're right um, because, uh, you know, that was the question the head of IT would always ask anytime somebody came in with a platform is, you know, like, well, how do I integrate with these things? And very often it was left to us to figure out, okay, you know, does it have a built-in integration? Do I have to put an ETL in there? If I have to put an ETL in there, do the tables line up so it's an easy mapping? Do the fields line up because it's an easy mapping? Does it need a two-way conversation between these two systems or it's just really pulling data? Does it need to be real-time or non-real-time? These are all the factors that went into this. And you know, now uh, we at least have a common language of, you know, we're expected to be looking at solutions that have APIs. We're expecting to have solutions that have integrations with common integration platforms. So if I buy an integration platform of some kind, chances are it has a built-in configuration to go talk to certain CRMs and certain CMSs and certain marketing automation platforms. I still have some work to do, right? To get like the data aligned, right? And we'll be talking more about data, but you know, some of the tooling is there, some of the, you know, sort of the check boxes is there to at least know that if we put the effort into it, we can get there. And, uh, you know, you know, I loved seeing this in one of your articles earlier this year, three big Mark Tech innovation themes in 2022. You were singing one of the songs that I've been singing for 20 years, which is about low code and no code technologies. Mm -hmm. And I looked at it back then when I was CIO as a cheat, right? I had to build applications out. I had to build integrations out. I was like every other CIO out there, too much demand for what IT could do. And so I was looking for how could I build apps faster and cheaper? Or even better, how could I enable the marketing department or enable the finance department or enable operations to build some of these things themselves? Because chances are there was a millennium there working in that department who had enough IT talent to actually go build some of this stuff, enough subject matter expertise to go build this stuff. Um, and uh, you know, I had to provide some governance and some practices for them. Um, but I could actually hand the keys to the castle over to them. And, and, and so give me your perspective on this. Is this a uh, something we're going to continue to grow? Um, do marketers like it that IT solutions have no code uh, capabilities built into it? And maybe even some examples, if you know of any, uh, that you could share about how marketers are using these no code capabilities. Yeah, no, it's, it's, this is a favorite subject of mine. Um... So one thing I guess I'd start out by saying is I, I think of no code in a very broad sense. For me, it's not just about like, oh, I'm building an app that I now do visually instead of having to type in you know, Java. Um, it's actually to me, I think of it as like anytime we're now taking these tools 
to empower general business users, you know, marketers, you know, uh, to be able to do more and more things that previously they just couldn't do on their own. They needed some sort of expert to go and do it for them, which either meant like, oh, it takes a lot of time or it's very expensive or a lot of skillness for a whole bunch of things. They were like, actually, it's probably not worth that time or money or skill for that. So yeah, I had this idea, but screw it. I'm not going to even, you know, bother with it, you know? And what we slowly see with all these no-code tools is as they start to, you know, move to more of the domain experts, you know, and eventually more and more of these power users, whether it's for like, oh, I need this little workflow for what happens when someone signs up, you know, for my, uh, you know, webinar and I want to kick off a couple of different things. Can I just configure that workflow on my own? Or if I'm launching a campaign and I want to have a web page that's, you know, going to do a special offer and I want to be able to execute that transaction, can I sort of create that, you know, landing page through a template without having to have a web developer, you know, like custom build that for me? Uh, oh, I have a question about data. Do I have to like get a, you know, ticket in the queue for a specialized data analyst to, you know, go and track it down in the data warehouse? Or is there some sort of, you know, like, uh, you know, a simplified interface where actually for a bunch of questions, I can just now go and directly, you know, query it myself. Um, and again, all these things aren't to say that it takes away the opportunities for the experts. Um, it's just, it's almost like uh, I often use, a, you know, like Clay Christensen's disruptive innovation model. Mm -hmm. It's like there's low end, mid end and high end use cases. And certainly yeah. for the high end use cases and even a lot of them mid use cases still, like you really do need the experts because it's not just about the mechanics of it. It's about understanding, you know, the domain expertise and what's being done. But for all of those low end use cases, quite frankly, it's it's a waste of time for the experts, you know, to spend their day. I mean, what web developer wants to spend their days building landing pages for the marketing department? I, they're not out there anymore. Um, you know, and, 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 and part of it is not just landing pages it's many many landing pages and permutations it's yes. we're not just doing a b we're doing a z and and we want to enable that right that's that's the experimentation so there's a volume effect there that we want to empower marketers to do yeah and you probably actually where you want the expert is very often to do the templates for those pages to put the guardrails of like, okay, this is the data you can collect. This is yeah. where, yeah, I mean, there is definitely need for, you know, governance and oversight, in, you know, in how we're empowering people with these tools. But if you put that governance and oversight and guardrails in place, yeah, to then allow, you know, those frontline domain, you know, workers to be able to, yeah, sort of just run with things. It, it really is a win for everyone. And so, again, kind of like the integration story, I, I feel like this is, we're still, pretty early, um, you know, both in the capabilities that these tools, you know, provide to people, but even more so, I think we're still trying to wrestle with the, the way to govern this, to manage this. Like, what's this balance between empowering people to do more and more self-service while also making sure that, yeah, we're being responsible, you know, in what's being executed, what's the data, you know, I mean, are there security issues here? Are there legal issues here? I mean, it's, it's both a really exciting field because you see all this power of, you know, creativity and productivity being like unleashed. Yeah. But also, yeah, a lot of really serious questions of like, okay, well, but yeah, how do we keep this from being a runaway train? Um, I think it's going to be maybe the single greatest challenge for us 
you know, for this next decade is like, how do we harness this at scale? Well, I mean, the governance in an IT land, I mean, we're still figuring that out. And that's been a mature area for 20, 30 years now. And just the basics of, you know, putting your code into version control and, and testing code and automating deployments. It's only really been the last five years where, you know, a lot of companies has been able to use technologies to do that end-to-end governance model uh, with cloud-native technologies. Now we're going to a marketer and saying, you know, copying and pasting that landing page a hundred times over to do a hundred experiments is probably a bad idea, mm-hmm. you know, and, and and maybe we need to find a more efficient way to generate a hundred versions from a template, um, or you know, you're going to go create a, a a data visualization in a tool, creating you know twenty five dashboards to answer five questions. Um, that your peer is doing the same thing with a different version of probably a bad idea. It sounds like Excel 10 years ago, just more complicated. And uh, of course, you know, what you can enable in the government's model is so tool dependent, right? Not all tools are equal in terms of what they enable and, and, and what structures they provide out of the box. And what we're really trying to do is, uh, you know, that what you started with, which is we're trying to do more of the high value things a lot easier, right? In that quadrant of, let me do the high value, easy stuff first. And, you know, no code is pushing that bar up. We could do many more things easier. Um, and that's giving us more choice to go after high value areas. Uh, that's where I see no code been playing out for the last 20 years, but it is a lot of figuring out for organizations. So let's try to do a figure out scenario. I'm going to start at the top of the food channel you know, you and I walk in, you're the CMO and I'm the CIO. We walk into this organization. They have 120 marketing technologies. They have a growth charter. They have no integration. You know, I know what I'm going to look for. I'm, I'm wondering, what are you looking for there to unravel that and say, here's the things that we should do in the first few months around something like this? Yeah, I think so. Um, I think one of the smartest ways I've heard somebody like approach this is to not start with the tech stack <laughs> instead actually start with okay what are the use cases what are the things that we're trying to do how does our business run how does how does a company acquire leads how does a company like make customers and i want you to take me through these processes and then for each one of those processes explain to me what's happening with the different technologies you know that are connected uh, to that particular process or activity. Because actually a lot of times that's really uncovering where the problem isn't, isn't so much the underlying technologies itself, it's that we haven't yet, like we've had a bunch of these things sort of organically pop up in different ways, you know, yeah. and there hasn't been enough reflection on like, okay, whoa, 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 let's not look at this through the lens of the tools. Let's look at this through the lens of the actual customer journey, you know, and then at least find out like, okay, as we're going along that journey, are there things where we're like, oh, wait, actually this is, this tool isn't communicating, you know, where it should be, or this tool is redundant. We don't actually need this one. We can be using, you know, the other one border. Oh my God, this tool's generating a ton of data and it's not going anywhere. Like, <laughs> you know, it, it's like, you know, I think if you like audit it through the actual use cases and you prioritize the use cases by the ones that are actually, you know, running the business performance, um, that's a, that's a great place to start. Um, you know, I think if you then get to a place where you're like, okay, we now understand everything that we have today and how it fits together. And we agree this is 
probably the right configuration for it. You know, then the next question becomes like, okay, well, what are the things we want to do that that's right all, now we haven't always, been able to? That's, that's <laughs> always my first question, right? I, I uncover where the issues are by looking at, I assume I want to get to tomorrow less about how I want to support today. And so that's where I start from. And then I can start unraveling well, where does that tie into existing processes? Where does that tie into existing systems? You know, through the lens of we can't do these things today that we think customers want or we think that our competitors are doing. Um, let, let's bring this down one level because a lot of times when I do that analysis, it comes down to we really don't know because mm -hmm. we've never brought all our, our customer data together to analyze it. We've never done a true, you know, customer study. We've never done a true market research study. So we don't have, you know, we have a lot of people saying what we want to do, but we don't have a lot of data to back that up. Right. And so I'm, I'm wondering, you walk into this organization, have data all over the place. Um, how do you start unraveling the customer data issue around that? Yeah. I mean, again, I think I, I kind of like go back to the use case lens because in, in many cases, it's like the use cases are either, they're either a source or a sink. No, in some cases they're usually both, but you know, it's like, okay, for this use case, what data do we need to be able to execute this well? Um, you know, and then, you know, alternatively on the other side of that, okay, in this use case, what data is being generated and where is it going? How do we use that data downstream? Um, and I think just getting that map to make sure there aren't, uh, you know, if you think of it like in graph theory or something like this, it's like, okay, well, is, is this just a completely disconnected graph or does ultimately <laughs> all this stuff, you know, come together? But I think for most companies today, it is still largely a disconnected graph. Like you're, if your graph is totally connected today, you are in the top 10%, 5% uh, of companies or, out there, or, congratulations. Or you're, or you're a ground floor startup that just hasn't gotten to that point yet. Yeah, true. Although, man, boy, it doesn't take long for startups to very quickly. Um, End yeah, up with you know, if, if someone isn't paying attention to this, you know, yeah, these things proliferate uh, without being connected together. Um, and so, I don't know, I kind of feel like, yeah, if you can get that map, you are, yeah, like that's like the first half of that journey. Yeah, uh, I'm going to share with you one of my secrets around this, because um, the mapping is actually pretty hard, right? And, and time consuming, if especially of 120 systems and you don't know who's generating, what's the source system for a piece of data? Well, the chances are it's four systems that are the source of it. They're just not talking to each other and you have a merge that you've never actually done before. So I take it a step back and say, let's go pretend, let's go create the reference data model of what this should look like. Right. If we're going to go after this type of journey with this type of um, workforce uh, workflow to support it with these types of experiments, it's much easier for me to get a group of people to conceive what the ideal model looks like. Right. And then when I have the ideal model, which, by the way, there's going to be huge debates over is it graph, is it SQL and whatever it is, I'm like, I don't care how you represent it. I just need a conceptual model. Then we could start working backwards. Oh, it's right? fascinating. It's almost like, um, yeah, you're thinking back to my days long ago of being a software engineer. It's almost like this difference between like a top down design versus yep. a bottom up design. Yeah. And there's kind of pros and cons to each one of those approaches, but um, 
Yeah, I, I, I would agree. What you're describing is the top down, like, is it, let's start with the idealized model and then fix things as we go down versus, yeah, what I was kind of advocating is like, let's start bottom up of like, what the hell's actually happening today? Because I have no idea. <laughs> I know I, and, and that's the issue. People don't have any idea. I mean, some of it is baked into common platforms that are reasonably well understood from a concept, but then we go and customize the heck out of them and we have to go unwind all of the logic that went into that. And then we have a whole slew of proprietary applications and, and integrations and they're buried in code um, uh, in terms of how they're processing. And if you start from that bottom up, I know I'll be in the weeds for, for <laughs> weeks, months for people to unravel all these things. But you know, I might not have to go into that part of the forest if that data is not important. Uh, you know, if I know this is what we're after, we're really after this type of journey. This is, you know, it's it. We don't need addresses for this type of journey. So I'm not even going to care whether or not I collect customer addresses for this. I only care about this type of data. That's what intrigues me about, um, you know, customer data platforms. In that I can use that reference model to go back and say, okay. I have a place to, to conceptualize that. And now I can bring my data in from all these different places to start mapping into that. I have some tooling around to put it all together. Um, but the, the, there's still a conversation, right? Do I need a customer data platform to do this? And, and what are some of the signs that I might need a data platform like this to do this? I'm, I'm interested in your perspective on that. Yeah, I think one of the things that's, so, so the short version is it's hard for me to imagine a business today that doesn't need a primary centralized customer data authority, um, right? I mean, like if you don't have like one place where ultimately that's becoming the system of record By the, know, way, that, that's the customer. Gonna, that's going to be the quote from this, from this recording is exactly that. I'm telling you right now. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean like, so, so like how can you do it without that? Um, uh, so I think in that regard, uh, the answer is almost always yes. I think where things are challenging is when we talk about customer data platforms, CDPs as a category, there's a challenge right now where the definitions in the category are very broad. Like we could look at 10 different CDPs and they do 10 very different things. Uh, you know, I mean, some of them are almost marketing automation platforms that- yep call themselves CDPs, you know, there's others on the other end of the spectrum that are really almost like sort of data infrastructure, you know, data, data pipelining systems. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, you know, and, and, and then there's others in between. Some have identity resolution, you know, as like a key capability, some of them don't, you know, and so that makes it confusing. To make it even more confusing, there are people who are doing things that are like a CDP, but they're not using a quote unquote CDP product. They're either their CRM has expanded to become their CDP or they've kind of built their own thing, you know, on top of Snowflake. And, yeah. you know, I mean, and so all this tends to make it actually very challenging to answer, you know, the question of like, oh, do I need a CDP? And if I do, of course you do, you know, like, okay, well, what vendors, you know, like what CDP do I need? <laughs> that's, that's maybe the harder question to answer. Um, but yeah, boy, you need a CDP of some kind in the blue. Scott, this is, I'm laughing so loud because you're the one putting the product into a box on a landscape. And so somewhere in here, you have to decide, is this a CDP or is this a CRM or is this a digital experience platform or is this an MDM or a data management platform? 
And it's not so easy to figure that out, is it? No, <laughs> I, I mean, I would, uh, I, I, I've joked with people for years about this, um, but like categorization um, basically sucks uh, <laughs> because yeah, these things are really hard to categorize, like legitimately, because here's the thing, it's like categories are very often a way of an analyst to think about an industry. Like we're trying to put these things in boxes, but the truth is, Ultimately, companies don't care about those boxes. What they care about is I have a job to be done, right? Clay Christensen again, you know, like <laughs> what's my job to be done and what software do I need to execute those jobs? And very often some of the most innovative software out there that's really good at getting jobs done for companies sort of span or like, you know, blend the boundaries that, you know, a more classic analyst would say like, well, is it this or is it that other thing? And then they um, come up with a better category name for it. Oh yeah. And everybody <laughs> wants to be their own category creator and have a category of one. Uh, it's a mess. And so I always say like, yeah, categories suck. The only thing that would suck worse than categories is having no categories. And so one year I, I, I took the MarTech landscape. I basically removed all the categories, <laughs> just threw all the software logos in one that. big mess. I'm like, well, okay. I mean, this <laughs> might be technically more accurate, but is it helpful? All right. <laughs> I, I, I couldn't agree more. That's the, the, the challenging and the fun part of, of recommending solutions or at least analyzing solutions is this sort of wavy, you know, this platform has this, this platform. What do you, what are your use cases again? What are you trying to solve for? And what technologies do you already have? So you can figure out which, you know, which, which box fits your trap much easier than others and is a cost-effective solution and all, so forth. But what really intrigues me around this, Scott, is um, when I think about however you get there and you bring customer data together, you know, going back to something we were talking about right before we recorded, you know, this notion of bring the organization together, mm -hmm. right? Bring marketing and technologists together, breaking down silos. You know, we know we have a lot of systems, some of them 120, some less than them. Uh, you know, some companies have 25 uh, content management systems because they had 50 magazines that they were building at one point and they each picked their own platform. So I'm kind of interested in how you see um, bring customer data in as a way of breaking silos down organizationally and aligning the organization to this is what we're really trying to accomplish here. Yeah, this is uh, one of the most exciting topics to me right now is, um, so my opinion is MarTech kind of spent the past 10 years growing up in its own silo. Mm -hmm. You know, that when MarTech was actually ready to start taking off 10 years ago, quite frankly, the rest of the organization wasn't really ready for it. Uh, and through a combination of marketers just wanting to do what they wanted to do and more than, uh, you know, MarTech vendors being more than happy to like empower them to go do that. Yeah, this whole MarTech stack that really did get created in a silo disconnected from the rest of the company. That was probably okay at that stage of what needed to happen. But today that's a terrible thing, right? Like we're now at a state, you know, where the company is actually trying to connect the dots across, you know, the digital customer experience, the digital operations of the firm as a whole, you know? And so what we see happening here is the slow but steady reintegration of MarTech back into the core business. Mm -hmm. And I think the layer at which that's happening, first and foremost, logically, is the data layer, you know? And so, you know, these common data platforms, these common like data ops, you know, processes, 
you know, increasingly the marketing stack has to integrate to that common foundation. And to be honest, this is a win for everyone. Um, you know, for marketers, yes, they've got a ton of data that they can now feed into that engine that then, you know, sales and customer success and product ops and finance, a ton of people who can get a lot of value out of having that data now in the common environment, mm -hmm. but also, Marketing is a huge beneficiary of this because now that they're also able to do this in the other direction, you know, of saying, oh, well, all this data about how customers actually use our product and when do they call our support department mm -hmm. and, you know, what were these sales interactions that work and which ones don't, to be able to have access to that data is like a gold mine, you know, of what, you know, marketing can feed into. And so I think we're starting to see this happen at the data layer again. All, all these things have a distribution curve where, you know, some companies are way ahead of the curve and a lot of companies are still trying to catch up, but at least it feels we're headed in the right direction on that dimension too. Yeah. I think just as, as, as things start becoming easier, we start challenging ourselves to doing more and better things, whether it's more data or more real time or with better privacy controls, you know, uh, with more apps doing more capabilities, you know, experiences in physical and digital worlds and mobile and web and IOT and wearable. I mean, it's every time we sort of simplify things, we start doing things more with it. So it's always this evolving window of what we're trying to accomplish. Um, the good news is that some of the technologies are making that easier today, but I'm never going to use the word easy, right? Mm. Whenever we're starting to put all of our customer data together. So just a question I've asked every, um, every guest on the customer data perspectives podcast, you know, what's your wish list for the easy button for gaining a competitive advantage with customer data? There's lots of sort of speed bumps that you can hit mm. um, just getting it together. And you said, if I had one easy button, where would it be? Wow. You know, I think it would be, um, and there's a term for this too. It's, uh, it's, it's the metadata uh, management is like uh, right now, so much of the pain I see even now with the reintegration of MarTech into the broader company-wide data ops layer is just, there's a misalignment on labels and definitions. And like, I mean, it's easy when we're like, well, email, address okay there's some fields we're like yeah <laughs> check but then you start getting into things like oh well segment and how do we define segment you know and like cohorts and like you know when did these things start and how do we calculate lifetime value and is the way i'm calculating that you know for this campaign the way that finance is calculating it you know in the way that's being reported i mean there's like this has nothing to do with the technology per se, you know, I mean, this is mostly about how do companies get alignment, you know, on a shared understanding of the data model. Um, and it's hard because it's such a huge universe. So boy, if there was a way to press an easy button and just get everyone to at least agree on the same names for the same <laughs> things with the same definitions, wow. holy crap, yes, <laughs> that would be awesome. Yeah, the universal enterprise babblefish <laughs> that we can all talk the same vocabulary. What's a customer, right? Can we agree who the customer is? Uh, and, and what are we calling a name? And what are we calling a date? What are we calling revenue? Yeah, these are, you know, we talk about technology, but the real challenge is getting alignment around all the data, even though the tools are giving us more capabilities around us. Scott, it's been a fascinating conversation. Great to finally meet you. 
Um, I want to thank everybody for joining us for this episode of Customer Data Perspectives. Uh, tune in to watch more of our episodes coming up in the future and have a great day. Thanks for having me. Thank you.